0: Made Cut to Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Yo, 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 In a bottle of rum, what's going on? I'm Monis Rose, and you're listening to the podcast Restaurant Fiction. It's the podcast that provides reviews of your favorite fictional restaurants, bars, and clubs, featured in TV and film, as well as give you key insight on the screenwriting process. On this episode, we are reviewing the road trip food featured in the CW television show, Supernatural, as well as talking with a writer who was on the first season that helped put the epic series on the map, Richard Haddam. Besides going in deep in the supernatural world, and especially on Dean's character, Richard breaks down the important road trip foods, as well as the different roles of a writer's room and what each role does. Enjoy. (music) Enjoy. So, guys, restaurant fiction went on a journey. We went from California. This is a journey meaning a road trip journey from California to hell. Yeah, I'm talking about hell. H. E. Double Hockey Sticks. Now, when we loaded up our car and we started put it in our put in our super with Chevron, Techron, and we drove the 20 the excuse me the 31 hour journey. We knew about the food. We knew the consequences of a road trip. What, was, what were those? There was probably not going to be any rabbit food. You see, healthy and hedonism do not go together. The breakfast of champions, soda pop and ding-dongs, the occasional snack M&Ms, lunch, beef jerky, you know what I'm talking about, those beef jerky stands. You see billboards everywhere on any I-65, I-80, I-15, I-whatever. You might want to switch up dinners every once in a while from toquitos, frozen chimichangas, and burritos. Or if you really want to get fancy, there's always going to be that Biggerson's, Connor's Diner, Fat Max, Rib or Harvell's Roadhouse along the way. Every state, every city is unique in its own right, which makes the road trip pretty special. Unfortunately for Restaurant Fiction, we did not have the funds to stay at a fancy schmancy place or an Airbnb. We had to go to motels that did not offer room service, so we had to get our chili cheese fries ourselves. Once we made it, though, to the Midwest, the apple pie was damn awesome. Sometimes, though, the apple pie just wasn't there, so we had to settle for the cake instead, a.k.a. the sloppy seconds. Of all road trip foods, and whatever your favorite is and whatever our favorite is, the most dummy-proof food we have found are bacon cheeseburgers. It's pretty much fatty beef upon fatty pork belly in between a bun. You can never go wrong. Do we feel bad about the food we ate? Well, when you're going to hell, I mean, might as well go out with a bang. We're going to move on. Now, uh Richard had a short stint on this small show called Supernatural. It's only uh ran 12 <laughs> plus, I think, seasons. And I, I
1: I know and, and shows no signs of slowing down. Yeah, no
0: no signs. And he was actually on The Integral first season or yep. for a short right. Now, all right. Uh, why we want to bring in Supernatural is because it deals with uh, two brothers on this road trip, or at least the first five seasons did. Um, and with road trips, you're going to experience a lot of food. I mean, you're going to experience a lot of greasy truck driving stop food. What does a Richard uh, Hadam, uh road trip look like in terms of food?
1: Well, let me tell you about the first road trip I ever took, and it was the best road trip I ever took. It was my senior year in college, and it was with my one of my best friends, Pat Riley. Not the Pat Riley of Lakers fame, oh. but but the the, <laughs> the 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 better Pat Riley. So we were we were driving across country. We were in L.A. Uh, Pat and I were both going to USC Film School, and we were going to drive back to uh, we were going to drive all the way to Chicago, and then continue on to New Haven, Connecticut, where my then girlfriend and then later first wife. Uh, was going to graduate from Yale University. So it was really a cross-country road trip. And this was in the year of our Lord, 1987, May of 87, I think. So, you know, I mean, obviously it was the modern era, but not so modern that there was a Carl's Jr. and a Starbucks every 200 yards. Okay, so, you know, take yourself back. But we were on the interstates. And our first stop was Vegas, of course, so that was fun. But then we went up to Denver. Somewhere between Vegas and Denver, I said to Pat, okay, from here to New Haven, Connecticut, Las Vegas to New Haven, we are not allowed to eat at any place we've ever heard of. So no McDonald's, no Carl's Jr., no Burger King, okay? We've de- as long as you and I have never heard of it, it's okay. If we've heard of it, it's off the table. And I didn't think Pat was going to agree to this, but he did. He's like, done, let's do it. And, you know, again, we were on the interstate. We weren't on the blue highways, so we weren't really getting the mom-and-pop places. But we forced ourselves to go to places we would never go to. And I just remember now keep in mind, we were in film school, and all we thought about was our film projects and, you know, who was going to get to direct a 480, which is the big film project at USC, and I just remember sitting in some weird diner. And I'm 18, and I've never really been out of L.A. And we're in some weird diner somewhere between Denver and, uh, and, and uh, uh, I think it was Omaha, Nebraska, where we finally stopped. And we, we, we pulled over for lunch at this crazy diner. And we sat there, and we're looking around at these people. And we're just like, gee, they're not talking about what movie's opening this weekend they're not talking about who's going to get to direct a 480. These are people whose concerns are so far away from anything our 18-year-old minds could conceive of. I have, I have no recollection of what we ate. Although, if I was with Pat Riley, I guarantee whatever he was eating involved mashed potatoes. Because <laughs> he's from Chicago. Everything for him was steak and potatoes and gravy. That was a meal for him. Okay. Not seafood, not sushi. It had to be one of these other things. So
0: Mr. Pat Riley uh, is the meat and potatoes guy, the quintessential meat and potatoes guy.
1: Quintessential meat and potatoes. If we were going to the hat in Alhambra, the, the hamburger stand, <laughs> he was getting the wet fries. And I'm like, what the hell are wet fries? I I, I want my fries with chili. He's like, no, no, I want the wet fries because wet fries had gravy on them. And he's from the Midwest. Wow. So gravy was the thing. So yeah. So uh my my recollection is it was a lot of chicken fried steak it was a lot of mashed potatoes a lot of cheeseburgers cuz that was always the go to and uh and we had some great experiences and we saw and met a lot of people we never would have met at uh at the local subway
0: all right so some of the foods that even pat ate are really reminiscent of the character uh dean i mean he does oh, eat yeah. he does eat a lot of slop throughout oh, yeah. the entire show now since you're in the first season um how often is the food that the characters eat discussed
1: well in in the episodes that i wrote and, and from my recollections um the, the i i like i'm not even sure a lot of food was ingested i wrote a phantom traveler right so they ended up on an airplane right and i think that maybe that involved a lot of drinking as it, as it yes, does for yeah. me now and will for me tonight because right. I'm getting on an airplane. And, <laughs> and by the way, that was the greatest thing about writing that episode is that Dean, we decided to make Dean afraid of flying and it was because I don't like flying. Now, by the way, I used to love flying until a particular flight I took in July of 2002, a flight from LA to Vegas, a short flight. I mean, this is a 55 minute flight. I didn't think I was going to make it. There was a sandstorm over McCarran Airport. We couldn't land. We flew from L.A. to Vegas. We were over the airport. And our plane was juking and jiving and dipping and rising and flopping around in the air. The, 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 the baggage bins were coming open. the The flight attendants were crying. It was terrifying. They flew us back to Ontario. Ever since then, I was afraid of flying. And I thought, you know what? Dean is a brave guy. Nothing would be funnier and more endearing than to make this character afraid of flying. So I brought my fear of flying, I gave it to Dean, and and that kind of, for me, that made the episode.
0: Phantom Traveler is an incredible episode because of th- what Richard just said. It um, It really... Uh, puts his, uh, Dean's vulnerability in terms of character on the map, almost like, hey, this is, whereas, say, like, Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes, you right. just called, uh, you just put the snakes in Dean's life, in a way.
1: Exactly, exactly, and that's what you want to do, and this was early on, so, which I think is a smart idea, and and I, I you know, I credit Eric Kripke and the uh, the other people on the show for for embracing this notion that, yeah... Let's, let's take a character that we establish as brave, you know, the Winchester brothers are extremely brave and they're not afraid of ghosts and they're not afraid of demons. So what are they afraid of? And, and we learn what Dean's afraid of. So that was really, really fun. Um, Dean was a character that I always pictured as a guy who, you know, if there's a bottle of beer in his hand, he's happy. If there's a cheeseburger in his other hand or a pastrami sandwich, he's happy uh, this is who he is. He's not he's not dieting. And here's the joke, of course. You know, the actor, of course, Jensen Ackles, in perfect shape. Yeah, I know <laughs> they have six pack, washboard abs, They're like totally. model esque. Yes, <laughs> but but you know, in the reality of the show, he's eating pizza, he's drinking beer, he's having a burger. He's not worried about that at all. And that's again, you know, another beautiful thing about working in TV. Uh, the, the, you know, in real life, these guys have to work out two hours a day. But on television, they're just in the car, you know, eating chili fries. It's all good. <laughs> all right. So what does uh, Richard Haddam road trip
0: in terms of even food-wise now look like? So you're taking uh, your family or a uh, buddy or Pat now on a road trip cross country.
1: Okay. Well, let's, let's travel back through time Way, way back through the foggy mists of time to three weeks ago. My brother and my two cousins and I are driving to Vegas. Because I will not fly to Vegas, as I've just indicated. So we're all driving to Vegas. Literally, this was three weeks ago. And we're all in our late 40s, early 50s. And uh, so we hit the Stations of the Cross. The first one on the way to Vegas, from L.A. to Vegas, is Barstow, in and out. This is when you allow yourself the in and out burger. This is when you allow yourself the animal style in and out burger. And I certainly did. Um, I did not order the fries. Oh no, I'm sorry. I did. I ordered the animal fries. Uh, here's a secret, guys. If you're not in California and you're not in LA, and you hear about in and out burger, get the burger. Beware of the fries. The fries have a very short uh, half life. If you Uh, don't eat those fries within the first five minutes they're served to you, they turn into just like cardboard.
0: Richard is speaking the gospel, everyone. I can back (laughs) him up. Even if you uh, order the fries extra, 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 extra crispy, you're still going to um – just be underwhelmed
1: yeah the the in and out burgers are famous for the burgers get the burgers forget the fries Uh, unless you get animal fries where they melt cheese and put relish and uh, onions and thousand island and then you're that's what you're eating the fries are just a vehicle to get thousand island dressing into your body and you know that's totally understandable so i would uh so that's what we got and that was delicious uh the shakes i don't palaver in the shakes uh, again, you can get better shakes a lot of different places. So that's the first stop. Then you continue to Baker, the city of Baker. Now you got to hit two places. You got to hit the Mad Greek. That's where you get your shake. You get your shake at the Mad Greek. Strawberry shake, Oreo shake, those are wonderful.
0: You now, now wait, and, and for those who don't uh, know about the famous, you know, freeway in the road trip from LA to Vegas. Um, You will be seeing a lot of signs for this mad Greek. I never personally. I never stop. Uh, But thank you for that. I I only stop at the Alien Jerky place.
1: That's the second place. (laughs) That's the. Oh my god. Okay, we're we're, we are of a mind. (laughs) That is the second place, and I had never actually physically been in the Alien Jerky place until just three weeks ago. And 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 here's the joke. Okay, it's all coming together. Because I wanted to buy a jar of olives because we had brought vodka and I'm like, well, if we're going to get to the room and we're going to open a bottle of vodka, I want a dirty martini and I'm going to need some olives. And I couldn't find any at the country store across from the Mad Greek in Baker. And so we're like, oh, let's go. I want to go to the alien fresh jerky place. So we go up and it's this place. It's in the middle of the desert. And the desert in the Southwest is famous for UFO sightings, you know, in California, in New Mexico, in Arizona. So... This place is dedicated to the, the sort of, you know, the, the aesthetic of the alien crash. So they've got these big life-size aliens in a DeLorean out front, and you can take pictures with them. Then you go inside, and you can buy tons of T-shirts and take pictures of all these weird alien creatures. So it's really fun. It's basically where Fox Mulder from the X-Files would go if he was taking a road trip. <laughs> So anyway, so we go in there and my cousins and my brother are like, you're not going to find olives here. Why would they have olives? And I, I saw the jerky and they've got the hot sauce and finally in the back, three shelves packed with olives, blue cheese olives, garlic olives, jalapeno olives, pimento olives, every kind of olive you can want. So I bought two jars, got the blue cheese, got the pimento, oh no, not the pimento, the sun-dried olives. Uh, The the sun-dried tomato stuffed olives. And uh, got my two big jars. They looked at me like I was a total freak. I bought them, put them in the car, and then it's a straight shot to Vegas.
0: Let's see. How's your time? I'm doing okay. You're doing okay? Yeah. Awesome. Because I do want to talk about uh, Richard has had a hand in this Steven Seagal movie. It is called Under Siege 2 Dark Territory. It's a B-action film. In this movie, the uh, pinnacle fight, I believe, is in the kitchen. Yeah. All
1: right. Because nobody so, beats him in the kitchen. All right. So tell me
0: about that line. Well, like, I mean, like, look,
1: like. <laughs> there was a movie called Under Siege that came out in, uh, you know, the early 90s, maybe 89, 90, 91, somewhere in that range. Um, and Steven Seagal. Uh, played a guy who was, you know, basically a Navy SEAL, but also was a cook on a ship. Okay, so when the ship is taken over by terrorists, he's in the kitchen, but he also knows how to kick ass. Okay, big surprise, right? All right. So my friend Matt Reeves, who's now a big director, uh, oh, and Planet of the a,
0: Apes fame, the, Planet of the
1: Apes fame, right? And, uh, I mean, Overfield. Uh, one of the best directors. I mean, back, Going back to film school, right. he was a brilliant director. A wonderful writer and a wonderful guy and a best friend of mine for 30 years. So... Uh, we decide to write a movie. We write a movie called Dark Territory. It's a Die Hard-style movie that right. takes place on a train. Warner Brothers buys it and says, we love it, but we love it because we need a sequel to Under Siege. <laughs> so we're going to take your main character and basically turn him into Steven Seagal, uh, Casey Ryback. So we're like, okay, well, we didn't really picture it that way, but okay, that's fine. You know, that, we're, we're happy. Thank you for starting our careers. So... In the original script, we had written a scene where a fight took place between our hero and one of the terrorists in sort of a, uh, uh, like a dry storage place where, where the food that was used on the train uh, was stored. So this was like a, kind of like a, a train car filled with boxes of any kind of food you'd find on the train. So booze and snack food and also big tubs of mayonnaise and olive oil and, and 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 various cooking ingredients that you would need to prepare meals for the dining car on a train. So as our hero was being shot at and as he was shooting back, food was just exploding everywhere. and And pretty soon the floor was slick with mayonnaise and that played into a plot point where where the bad guy slipped and our guy was able to get the upper hand. So we, we were acknowledging sort of the spirit of this in our original draft, and then when it became a Steven Seagal movie, of course, his character was a cook, and they were like, well, this is obvious now. We have to show him in the kitchen doing his thing, using knives, beating up a bad guy, and then, of course, delivering the line, nobody beats me in the kitchen. So it was really by pure luck that a culinary expert uh, became the star of our movie.
0: Like you have him also. I mean, yeah, you you use food lockers. He uses coconut oil for bombs as well. I mean. Right. And in the
1: original, in in Under Siege, he puts something in a microwave that that explodes after a certain amount of time and sort of invents a bomb. And of course, by being a a cook, you're an expert with knives. And so this played into the character also.
0: down the road when you um, are just developing just your own passion project um, is there a bar, is there a restaurant in that show or in oh, a, a current episode? Absolutely,
1: I will tell you Manas, if I look directly to my left and this is for the listeners at home I'm looking down Wilshire Boulevard we're, we're on the 6th floor of a building and we've got this amazing view so I'm, I'm looking out at a building where we did casting for a pilot I did a few years ago and in that building, I cast this pilot that I wrote—one of my favorite things ever—called Heavenly. And right over there, but but in that show, in the show Heavenly, which takes place in San Francisco, one of my favorite cities, uh one of the sets was a uh, sort of a like Chinatown bar restaurant, sort of a honky tonk place with with the you know with the Christmas lights and the and the and the you know the you know, the marble Buddhas and all that stuff, and the big tropical drinks, you know, the Mai Tais. And we, in the pilot, and of course this pilot never aired, it was a a pilot that was produced that never went to series, uh, uh, we we had a scene where the main character gets really drunk because the main character is not, is typically not a human being. He was an angel who becomes a human being. So he's never been in physical form. And he's, he's kind of an innocent, kind of a naive guy. And he's never had alcohol. And so he gets drunk on Mai Tais in this restaurant. And, and the plan was this was going to be one of our standing sets. And the characters would go there all the time. This would be their hangout. And I was so excited about this. And the, one of the big regrets of that show not going forward was not being able to hang out on that set and not write about those characters drinking and eating in that setting because I just loved it. You want to write about places you want to be. Uh, You know, I mean, that's why it's always tough. Like, when I'm creating a show, I realize that if this show goes, I'm going to be on set. And if I'm writing about a show that takes place in the woods in the rain, I'm going to have to be in the woods in the rain. And I don't want to be in the woods in the rain. And if I'm writing a show that takes place on an outer space battleship, like Battlestar Galactica or Star Trek... I don't really want to be there either. I don't mind watching it, but I want to live there. I want to be where I want to be and and this show Heavenly that your buddy and mine Ross Feynman yep. worked on with me. Oh, yes. um, we literally we had just come through some, you know, I'd been on a difficult show, he'd been on a difficult show. And we said, "Let's just make this show everything we love." We named the characters after our children. He's got a daughter named Lily, I've got a daughter named Dash. Uh, I'm sorry. I've got a son named Ash, a child <laughs> named Ash. He's not. Oh God, he's going to kill me. I'm going to send this to him. No. I know there was a main character named Owen. There was a character named Spencer after my kids. We said it in San Francisco because we loved the city, and we're like, let's just make this a place we want to be, and that that influenced the uh, the bar where they they hung out. So it, it was it was very much a a, uh, a passion project, and it was just like you know, let's just let's just sink into the stuff we love and live there for a while.
0: You've, uh, you've had many uh, different positions in the writer's room. What are yeah, some of the key differences in responsibilities uh, for each position you held?
1: Um, well, when you're watching a TV show, you'll see a bunch of credits at the beginning. And you'll see things like uh, you know, producer, co-producer, supervising producer, consulting producer, co-executive producer, executive producer. And you'll have no idea what these people do. Because sometimes these are titles that are sort of in name only and sometimes they're writers who are in the room every single day working on every single episode. If you are a writer and you are an executive producer, uh, that means you've achieved a high rank. It does not necessarily mean you are the showrunner. The showrunner might be the creator of the show or it might just be someone with a lot of TV experience who was brought on to a show to help manage it. And, you know, being a TV writer, you're a bit of a gypsy. You can find yourself working on a lot of different shows in a short period of time. You might be on a show for years and years and years, or you might go from show to show to show to show to show. That's been more my experience. A showrunner is someone who is responsible for every aspect of the show, the writing, the production of the show, the post-production of the show. So they are overseeing scripts, they're overseeing the set, and they're overseeing post-production, which is editing, sound, and music. Um, Yet you'll never see the word showrunner in the credits of a show. Typically the person whose name, under the words executive producer, that comes up last, before, written by, and then directed by, That tends to be the highest-ranking executive producer, and that tends to be the showrunner of the show. And that's what they do. Um, The co-executive producers are vice presidents. They are sergeant-at-arms. They are there to take on whatever duties are necessary and needed by that showrunner. So any help that showrunner needs in terms of delegating duties and responsibilities on set, in the writer's room, or in post-production... That's what the co-executive producer does.
0: All right. So to say, yeah, the showrunner is either dealing with uh, on the network side or on the shooting or production side, but has to be a way the vice presidents, the co-EPs will then run the writer's room. Yeah,
1: sometimes. exactly. Okay. Yeah. 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 That, that could be very expected. Okay. Yeah. Whatever, whatever needs to be done that the showrunner can't do, the co-executive producers are ready, willing, and able. Um and in my career, I've gone up and down the ladder. I've cre- I started out creating a show and being a showrunner. And, I- and then on the next show I worked on, my rank was supervising producer. I was just a writer in the room, and that was the extent of my responsibilities. I've been a consulting producer who is there a few days a week, uh, I've been co-executive producer, that vice president role we've talked about. Then I'll go back up to executive producer showrunner. Then I'll drop back down, depending on what the needs of the show that I'm working on are. And I, I really enjoy doing all of them. It's fun to be the boss, but it's fun just to be a guy in the room, just kind of helping out.
0: Well, yeah, that was my next question. Yeah, what was your favorite role in, and why? Why?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, when when I was when I was you know a, a quote unquote showrunner on Miracles and partnered with David Greenwald, that was a great experience, and that because that was a show I created and that was a show I really really loved. Uh, when I worked on The Gates, that was really fun too because that was a show that was, I mean, endlessly interesting to write. Uh, the writers' room was wonderful, and and we really had a good time. But you know, on Grimm, I was co-executive producer. I didn't have a lot of duties on set, really. I didn't have a lot of duties in post-production. My job there was to uh, you know, work with the other writers and come up with stories and write those scripts. And that was a great experience. And have a good
0: time in Portland.
1: And have a good time in Portland. I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. Other shows I've worked on, like Witches of East End, have filmed in Vancouver. Uh, that's super fun. Uh, going up to Vancouver, which is sort of Portland in Canada. And uh, so every, every job you go into, you, you quickly get a sense of the landscape and, and what the needs are, and then you fulfill those needs. And it's, it's, it's really fun having been up and down that ladder doing a lot of different things.
0: Which, uh, which writer's room has the best food?
1: Okay, little secret about writer's rooms in Hollywood. And when I say Hollywood, I mean Burbank because that's where most of them are. Um, they bring you lunch. Part of your deal is your lunch is paid for, and there is someone in the office, the writer's PA, who goes out every day and brings in your lunch from a local restaurant. And let me tell you, in Hollywood, these assistants, and there's hundreds of them working at all these different shows, but the one who is responsible for getting the food, that is the most important job. And you will get in big trouble. I mean, there are, there are places where, where writers will freak out if, if lunch is 15 minutes late because they're starving and they're so excited about this little reward that comes in the middle of the day. So when you meet in a writer's room, the first thing you do is look at a menu and order lunch. This is a huge perk. Writers are very excited about what they're going to eat. Some people have very specific diets. They can't have sugar. They can't have gluten. Other writers are like, I just want as much free food as I can eat.
0: (laughs) Have you been in all these uh, Yeah, I've occupied all of
1: these categories. As I get older, I I lean more toward, okay, I I can't take another sandwich. I've I've got to just do a salad today. But anyway, um, I will say that every room I've been in has provided wonderful food, but the room I'm in now tops them all. Wait, so
0: uh, first of all, are you you allowed to say that show now? Um, Now, this is going to air, this this episode will air probably in January. I mean, just saying.
1: Oh, no, no. The the show I'm working on now, these episodes won't air until next summer. Summer of 2018. Okay. Uh, The show is called Titans. Okay. Uh, It is based on the comic book The Teen Titans from DC. Right. Uh, Jeff Johns uh, is a uh, creative genius who uh, is uh, spearheading the show along with Academy Award-winning screenwriter Akiva Goldsman. Oh, okay. Our showrunner is Greg Walker. Uh, There is not a kinder, more talented, more skilled showrunner in Hollywood. Uh, He's got to arrange a lot of people and a lot of scripts and a lot of production issues because we film in Toronto. We haven't started filming yet, but we will soon. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's what's going to happen. Uh, so the show is called Titans, and it will be available on the DC Streaming Digital Network, which will be debuting uh, in the spring and early summer, I believe, of 2018. So look for it, but, you know, go to DeadlineHollywood.com and search for Titans <laughs> and follow all of our casting notices because we're, we're casting – Starfire and Beast Boy and Hawk and Dove and Dick Grayson and all those guys.
0: Oh, this is awesome.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This we, is awesome. We And we're compiling a really impressive cast. So look for the show. You will be blown away.
0: Where are you eating in L.A. The, uh, these days? I mean, yes, you're an L.A. born and bred guy. Maybe even you're... Uh, th- favorite either restaurant or dish or whatever, or new age trendy thing. Oh, so, I
1: will tell you. I yeah. will tell you. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you where I'm hanging out. Uh, I'm a big breakfast guy and I live in Pasadena. So I'm either going to uh, Cindy's, mm-hmm. uh, which is in Eagle Rock. It's mm-hmm. a it's a diner. It's an old style diner. I mean, again, it's the kind of place that they, they, they film there all the time. But it's on Colorado Boulevard, it's called Cindy's in Eagle Rock, and I urge you all to check it out. It's just wonderful, and the food is delicious. It is not greasy diner food. These are people who love food, and uh, any breakfast, any meal you order there is going to be just you know out of this world. Um, the other place I eat breakfast a lot is a place up in Altadena called Lincoln on Lincoln Avenue. And it's it's in an old, I don't, I don't know what this place used to be, like an old factory or something. It's kind of cement walls, but it's been changed into this amazing eatery and food shop and amazing coffee drinks. Wait, what's this called again? It's called Lincoln, and Lincoln. it's in Altadena, California, just above Pasadena, right? and I urge you all to go to Lincoln. It's just everything on the menu is delicious. Specials every day, they switch them out. It's, it's packed, it's, and it's beautiful. So those are my breakfast places. And for dinner, uh, my wife Susan and I, uh, even though we live in Pasadena, when we're meeting people, because everyone else lives on the west side, we come up with a place that's right in the middle, It's in uh, sort of the Los Feliz uh, Silver Lake area, and it's called Cliff's Edge, and it is delicious. Amazing food, amazing drinks, and it's in this sort of quasi-indoor-outdoor setting. There's a giant tree in the middle. You literally feel like you're eating in a treehouse. It's these, it's these uh, uh, sort of terraced decks that go up. So we always say, bring us up to the top level where, where you're just sitting in these little nooks and crannies at these little tables in a tree with these lights Strong. It's the most romantic, beautiful place you can ever eat. The food is off the charts amazing and the drinks, oh my God, the cocktails there uh, I, I literally, I find a new one every time and then I go down to the bartender and I'm like, okay, how do you make this? I want to make this. And, and, and usually I can get them to tell me.
0: Well, Richard, thank you so much. Uh, really quick, uh, where can, uh, people find you or just. Uh... Uh, the
1: easiest place to find me is on Twitter. I have a Facebook page, but I don't go there a ton. Uh, and and uh, less and less uh, as we hear more and more about Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Richard Haddam. It's really easy to find me. That's my name. And, uh, and that's the best place to find me and get in touch. And please give me a shout out. Uh, let me know uh, you heard the show or you saw one of my shows, and uh, let me know what you think.
0: Absolutely. All right, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Big huge thank you to Richard Haddam. Be sure to check out the Supernatural episodes that he did in the first season as well as the millions of other Supernatural episodes which are prominently featured on the network, the CW, and all of the greasy diner road trip food that the brothers on the show eat. My name is Monis Rose. The host of Restaurant Fiction. You can read more reviews on Restaurant Fiction.com, www.restaurantfiction.com, as well as hit me up on the Twitter sphere, which is at Rest Fiction, as well as the IG, The Monus Rose. And until next time, until a couple of weeks for our next episode, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Two. Exterior. Interior.
1: Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Farmers! Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance.